We're ending today the series called Blessings, Living in Covenant. And we're going to be bringing, trying to tie that together. One of the greatest things that we wanted to accomplish in this series is get a foundational base of information, understanding that we serve a God who is a God of covenant, of blood covenant to be specific, so that you understand the old covenant and then understand the new covenant in the blood of Jesus Christ. Then we talked about last week, the kind of the front part of this message, is that the end result is that I hope that we become more and more a people of faith. Not passive faith, not Sunday morning faith, but faith that moves on a daily basis in and through and out of our life into the lives of people around us. And so that when you walk up by someone, like remember that in the scripture talk about Peter and people would walk by Peter or get in the shadow that, that, that the power of God would be evident and released into their life. Well, I'm uh, crazy enough to believe that that is what is required of me and you. So that any situation we walk into, whether it's a Walmart or a family Thanksgiving dinner or whatever it is we walk into, there is an anointing of God upon us that it moves, that the Spirit of God moves and changes the lives. It actually changes the atmosphere of the environment that you're in. Don't raise your hand. How many have had family events in the past where it was full of contention, war, and uh, just a miserable time? How many of you this time was less, there was no, there was not the tension, there was not the war? Could it have been the presence of God within you going into that place? I believe so. I believe it is. One of the things we're going to look at today, the things, a couple of things that kill our faith. How we can overcome a couple of things. Because everybody in here, we want, I want great faith. I function way too much of the time in little faith. And there are even moments when I don't know that I have faith to move a blade of grass, let alone a mountain. But I want more than that. Do you? I mean, I want to be uh, a force within the kingdom, and that requires faith in the Lord in, in such a big way. One of the first things, how, let's just do this. How many of you really struggle with a significant amount of the time of your mind, the time that you spend with your head circling with shame, guilt, condemnation, Worry, fear, questioning. How much of the time of your mind is spent on those things? All I believe it is the level of that which will determine the level of our faith. Because I have found that shame, condemnation is a faith killer. You can come in here and you desire to be a man of God, a woman of God, you desire to, when you speak into a person out in the hall, you desire for your speech to be such that when you speak, it brings life into their situation. I know that you want to be that. But if we're walking down the aisle, getting ready to meet that person, 
and we're carrying with us the shame of our sin and we beat ourselves silly in our mind of condemnation and so we are walking down the hall and that is the main spin of our mind when we walk up to this person we don't we're not we're not spending any of the power of the spirit why we're unworthy we can't be used is what is the message in our mind so faith we desire it to be way up here and yet because of this word condemnation many of us don't live here we live here it is a killer of faith and so that's one of the first thing i want us to look at today is what how to get rid of this concept of being condemned first john chapter 3 says this i'll quote it and then we'll stand and read another passage in just a moment what listen carefully if our hearts do not condemn us we have confidence before God. I'm going to say that again. If our hearts do not, and I'm, I'm not talking about our physical hearts. Scripture's not talking about here. The core of us, the person that's on the inside of us, if the, if the heart of us does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. The reverse of that sentence is true. If, we, if our hearts condemn us, we have no confidence before God. Do you see where I'm going? If you're being, if we live with condemnation, we will not live in faith. But if we are, get free from the guilt of our past, the sin of our past, what we've done and what others have done to us, if we could ever get free of that and our condemnation, remember Jesus said, I, I didn't come to condemn you. Yes, you remember him saying that? Hey, this is a place of hope, isn't it? In Hamlin, a house of hope. It is. Well, the hope is this. Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn you. I came to set you free, and I want to give you a life that is lived to the maximum. But how many of us are living way below that because of condemnation? We've been trained to be good at self-condemnation. It comes out as judgment against other people at times. We usually do that just to try to make our nasty, unforgiven self feel better. When you, real, when you stop to think and realize that that's not the health, that's not the, the thing that's going to fix that inside of us by tearing somebody else down, the only thing that's going to fix the inside of us is the redemption and chains falling off because of what Jesus did on the cross. We just don't apply it. We won't accept it. Now, we're good at helping others. We'll pray for you. Lord, let the chains of this bondage fall off. And we walk away from it dragging our chains they just rattle when we walk that's not what the Lord wants for us to have do you have uh, your Bibles go to the Old Testament Joshua Joshua chapter 6 as soon as you get it stand up please we're going to read it together page 184 in the skinny NIV Bible if that helps you find it okay Joshua chapter 6 starting in verse 1 says this now Jericho remember it was the first city 
inside the land of promise for Israel to go in and take over the land. Jericho was the first city they fought. It was tightly shut up because of the Israelites. They were afraid of the Israelites coming over. No one went out and no one came in. The, the gates were up. The bars were set. The guards were in place. The thick walls were in place. The moat was, if there's a moat, I don't know. Or probably not in the desert. So there was, there's, it was shut up. And you couldn't get in. They couldn't get out. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, now this takes faith. He said, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands. Seriously. Do you hear that? In the midst of this condition, no chance they could, they could take over this city. It was a walled, massive city. And then the Lord spoke to Joshua. See? No, I don't see that, Lord. Jericho, I've delivered it into your hands. Along with its king and its fighting men. Now march around the city once with all the armed men. Do this six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horn in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. By the way, those same trumpets are symbolic of what we're gonna, what's going to happen in our future. There's going to be some trumpets blown in the future too. But this is a picture of that. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpet, have all the people give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the people will go up every man straight in. They're just going to go in. Great faith says, yes, God. Little faith, seriously? If you do it, I'll do it. But I'm not moving unless you do it. No faith said, you're an idiot. And that's not happening. I'm staying on the other side of the river. I'm not going. Jump to verse 20. When the trumpets sounded, they obeyed. The people shouted. At the sound of the trumpet, when the people gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. God bless your, your scripture. You may be seated. Okay, now that's a pretty big victory, yes? And the wall, they did, they just did these dumb things that felt dumb. Seriously, walk around, and they're going to make fun of us from the wall. And we're going to walk around six times, and then we have to shout. That's just, oh my gosh, how humiliating, Lord. But we're going to shout, and we're going to blow trumpets, and... Um, and they obeyed. They said, Lord, we're going to obey you. And when they did, the unthinkable, the impossible happened. Those walls crumbled and Israel walked in and defeated that city. How would your faith be following that day? Would you call it great faith? You probably ramped up wherever you were. If you had no faith, you moved at least to little faith. If you were a little faith, you had to jump up to great faith. From that point on, you knew you could handle anything. Get out of our way. God's for us, and we've just proven it, and we're going to march on with this intensity. And I think that's awesome. But then something happened. Verse, look at uh, chapter 7, verse 1 through 9. 
the very next city they were to face after Jericho, after this huge victory. But the Israelites acted unfaithfully in regard to the devoted things. That means things that were in the city that God had told the, the army, in this next city called Ai, you cannot take any of it for spoils. It has to all be destroyed. Every part of it. Animals, property, everything. Achan's son of Camry, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah from the tribe of Judah. And that's the line that Jesus came through. So this is a, this is a very significant line of people. He took some of them, the devoted things. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth Haven, to the east of Bethel, and told them, Go up, spy out the region. So the men went up and spied out all Ai's. When they returned to Joshua, they said, Not all the people who have go- will have to go up against Ai. Send two or three thousand men to take it, and do not weary the rest of the people, for only a few men are in this town called Ai. So about three thousand men, oh, three thousand men are there. So about three thousand men went up, and they were routed. That's not good. It means they were defeated by the men of Ai, who killed thirty-six of them. Top, the top of their military was wiped out. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. At this, mark this in your Bible, at this the hearts of the people melted and became like water. Faith went from here to here by this activity. Joshua, the leader, tore his clothes, which is a sign of grief, and he fell down to the ground before the ark of the Lord which was in their presence. The elders of Israel did the same. They sprinkled dust on their heads, another sign of grieving. And Joshua said, Sovereign Lord, watch carefully what he says, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Something just shifted bad there from the leader's point of view. If we had only been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. Oh Lord, what can I say now that Israel has been routed by our enemies? The Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about this and they will surround us and wipe out our name from the earth. What then will you do for your great name? Okay, do you see the change that happened? Leaders. Faithful warriors were defeated soundly. They had just had this massive victory. They just walked to the next little suburb. It wasn't even much of a town. And they didn't even need to take the whole army. They just said, some of your top guys, you go and take care of this city for us. And they went there and they were routed. They didn't just get beat a little bit. They got destroyed by the men of Ai. Killed some of the top leadership of the military. And when it was done, Israel was running away like cowards from this small place. This once God-sized army, this once God-protected army, just experienced defeat and death of 36 of their leaders. 
When this occurred, the hearts of the people, and I mark that in my scripture, melted like water. Fearful. You know what was left? Fear. Discouragement. And they were despondent. You heard about the leaders tearing their clothes and sprinkling dust on the head. That's that old Hebraic type of picture of mourning. They wanted everybody around to know that family's in mourning. They'll have dust all over the head, clothes, some parts of their clothes are torn. Uh, even you go back further, they would do put on sackcloth. You've heard of that? Sackcloth and then sprinkle ashes. Because it was a deep time of mourning. So the leaders were not standing in victory and shouting, Thank you, Lord, for our, another great victory. They were down on their faces, humiliated, defeated. Joshua said, verse 7, Lord, why did you bring us, bring this people across the Jordan just to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? God, why did you make us fail? How quickly can we fall from great victory to blaming God for our defeat? Achan, he was the guy from the line of Judah, from the line of King David, from the line that would come down through, eventually would be the Messiah in the New Testament. Achan had taken a Babylonian robe, probably pretty ornate, uh, pretty nice suit, probably a $1,000 suit in our day. He took five pounds of silver, And he took one and a half pounds of gold. You know the story. It was in strict disobedience to what God told him to do. And this one man took it, buried it in his tent. And the result of that was the entire people of God went into a time of shame. So I think a good question to ask here is, how do we overcome condemnation after we've failed how do we make it right how do we get it back how do we get, how can we go back to a position of victory how can the church if it's a representative of God's people in our day how can we get back to a place of living in supernatural strength by the presence of the, of the Lord. So that when we gather in the house of the Lord, when they start singing, my chains are gone, I've been set free, people just go wild because they've been, they know what victory is. They've seen the chains fall from them. But how many of us in, our, in the church of America, when we think about where our land is and what it is becoming, we're not winning Jericho's much. A lot of times we're experiencing the AI experience. So we may be living in some condemnation. We may be living in some shame. Here's the first thing that we're to do. Stand up and deal with sin. Joshua chapter 7, verse 10 and 12. The Lord said to Joshua, stand up. What, you, what are you doing down on your face? 
Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things they have stolen. They have lied. They have put them with their own possession. This is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. See, defeat, humiliation, shame, condemnation, weakness, timidity are not the traits of the people of God. They are not the traits of the church of the living God. Humiliation, tiredness, weakness, fearfulness, trembling, ineffectiveness, weakness. Those are not the characteristics of the people of God. And we can never accept that as normal. I think we do, but I'm trying to get us to stop it. The Lord's command was, Joshua, get off your face, stand up, there's sin here, deal with it. That's what he said. I'm going to write a counseling book someday. It's just called Deal With It. It's only going to be one page long. The title is Deal With It. The chapter is Deal With It. And the cover says Deal With It. Stand up. Deal with it. How are we to deal with sin that keeps us condemned? How do we deal with sin that keeps us condemned. Vicky and I, we had a funeral here yesterday of a dear friend of ours. He was the piano player for my Killingsworth brothers family for 20, probably 20 years played for us and we sang all over everywhere. And it was his funeral, 59 years of age, ended his own life. Why? Got caught up some, some things in shame, sin, and condemnation. And didn't stand up and deal with it. That's what, that's what sin does to us. Steal, kill, and destroy. We think it's not. We play with it like it's not. But it always does. How are we to deal with sin that keeps us Condemned. What are we, how are we to deal with the things that makes our faith, instead of it being swollen faith, great faith? How do we deal with it when it brings us down to just little faith or no faith? Here's what it says. Repentance is required. When God spoke to the leader, he said, stand up, deal with it. We need to find out what this is and we need to repent of it. Repentance is, it comes with godly sorrow. It is a sorrow deep within. And it's not your own made shame, guilt, and condemnation. There is a spirit of sorrow that hits our heart. It breaks us. You've been there at that time when the Spirit of God rested on you and all that you could do was just cry like a baby. It's a godly sorrow that breaks the yoke of condemnation. And if we don't deal with it, if we push it down like my, my friend David did, we found out for many, probably four or five or six years, pressed it down and changed him. It, he became so condemned that at the end, 
There was no way out. There was no hope. There was no light. The worst place you can be, right, is hopeless. That's why we put it in the, in the phrase of the Hamlin Church. Your home for hope. Because this hope is not a, just a, a little thing. This hope is that Jesus Christ has paid for all of it. See, my brother, my friend, literally kind of my brother, if he would just reach out and said, I know this is a mess and you're going to have to pay some big stuff in your life, but there is hope. There is a redemption. There's forgiveness for you. There's a way that the Lord will use you even through the midst of this. This godly sorrow will lead to confession. What is confession? Simple. Just agree with God. This is wrong. That's what confession is. Lord, I'm guilty and I got it. If you're an alcoholic, uh, if you have sexual sin, if you have word sin, if you have whatever the level of sin, repentance is not, it comes with godly sorrow, but that sorrow leads to an activity, to an action. And that action is, that we are to, it's, it's not just, it is a turning away from that sin. It's, it's a saying no to that sin. But true repentance is a full turnaround so that you start doing the very things that stop that sin, not only in your life, but in other people's life. Alcohol, let's use that. There are people trapped in alcoholism. Some claim the name of Christ and attend church every day, but alcohol is there. Uh, it's, a, it's control in their life. Repentance is that I agree, God, and I am a mess here. I'm caught in this. I can't get out. It defines me. It controls me. I can't, do, I can't teach a class. I can't lead a group. I can't do anything because that is the controller of my life. I am confessing before you, God, that is my mess right now. The Lord says, repent. Lord, I am sorry, but I've been sorry a long time. Now, he says, repent. That means you turn from it, and then you give yourself to a ministry that is helping people overcome alcoholism. You understand? You start fighting the very thing that had you in control. It's a, it's a full activity change. From participating to helping people get set free from it is a repentance. If you think I'm sorry is the repentance, you're wrong. It's not enough. Repentance is a full turnaround where we go in a different direction. If we do not, if we do not stand up and address these issues in our own life, the result will be, listen, condemnation, cowardliness, and like Israel, we'll find ourselves running turning our backs and running from the enemy. We would not be, will not be victors. We'll be considered fearful failures. I have this dream of a church. Not of perfect people, because there aren't any. If you've not noticed that, there aren't any. And my dad told me early on when I started doing pastoring, he said, Mark, uh, don't, Go look for a perfect church because if you go, you're going to really mess it up. And he wasn't being mean. He was saying, they're broken and you're broken. There are no perfect places. 
But there is, a, we are to be, have this picture of a church that just brings it, all the brokenness, puts it on an altar before God. Man doesn't need to know it. We don't need to know your stuff. We're all broken. Everybody here is broken. We don't need to know your stuff. Now somebody close to you may need to know your stuff. The friend that walks with you and says, okay, you're accountable to me. We're going to walk through this. I'll keep you accountable. You help me be accountable. That's really helpful on this journey. But I'm talking about, I'm, think, I'm looking for a church that the, that the church could be like the first military group that went against Jericho. Lord, what do we do here? Seriously? Six times, walk around six times. Okay, we're going to walk. We're going to walk. And then on the seventh time, I want you to get some of your trumpet players out front and trumpet. And I want you to shout like you mean it. And I want you to watch what I'm going to do. Okay, let's go. Let's do that. Let's stand and we'll go. And then the next time, Lord, do you want us to walk around this six times? No, I didn't tell you to do that. Well, that worked over here. We're going to bring that over here and make this work. No, God says, no. I'll show you each step what you need to do. It'll be different, but just trust me. What if a church started living like that? So that faith was, started growing really, really hard. I'll tell you this, there will never be an empty seat in this house. Because you're going to bleed God so much, you're going to be dragging folks in that you've been nice to and you're going to stop being nice and say, you've got to come. You've got to be here today. I'll even buy your lunch, but you've got to be here and see what God's going to do. The house will not be weak, will not be empty. It'll be a church full of faith, mountain-moving faithers. Not in us, but that God said he would do it and we're going to trust him to do it. But you know what we have to do based on this? Whatever you've taken that's devoted and it's in your house, whatever you have hidden in your heart that the Lord says this is not to be a part of your life, you're going to have to dig it up and, t and bring it out. You have to dig it up and bring it out. He said you can't serve two masters, remember that? A lot of times we live with and tolerate our church experience as uh, like penance. We have to go pay that for an hour and a half, shoot. We'll go pay that penance and then maybe God will like me again. And we're so messed up in that. We'll be the people of God. We're his ambassadors on planet earth that seems to be going to hell in a handbasket. We are to be his ambassador. We walk into that family that's, they're already drinking at Thanksgiving and they're already mad. There's already been one fist fight over here. And we walk in representing the kingdom of God. And we walk up to every one of them, hug their neck, kiss them on the cheek, say, I love you. So glad that you're here. Aren't you glad that the, that the Lord has given us this opportunity together as a family? And they may have blood running out of their nose from their fight. And, but your example, you're, you are the representative. And before long, before you eat uh, the turkey, you say, guys, I know we normally don't do this, but I'm going to ask you to stop. Because we need to stop and declare that God is over all. And we're going to pray and ask him to bless our time. What? Is he crazy? Is he got, has he become one of those re religious fanatics? 
And then you pray and you start blessing Brother Stan and Sister Wilma. You say, God, I ask you to work in this, my family's life. We're at, right now we're struggling with this. And we're going to ask you to be strong here. And before long, things get real freaked out for that family. Because the presence of the Lord begins to enter in. The warring and the strife goes away and repentance begins to occur. Family members make things right. Mark, are you a dreamer? Yes, probably, but I believe that's exactly what happens when we're walking. But we can't walk that way as long as we have some stuff in our house that's not supposed to be there. When I say that, it's immediately in your mind if it's there. You know what it is. I don't have to point it out. I won't go through a list of things. But I do know this. John says it like this. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie. And we do not live the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. In a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to deal with that. Second thing, I'm going to do this rapidly. Stand up and do not. Remember, stand up and deal with it. Book one. Book two. Stand up and do not be afraid is the second part of that which kills faith. Condemnation kills faith and fear kills faith. And here's what he says, Joshua 8.1. Then the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Did you notice it's a command? It's not a suggestion. Do not be afraid. Stand up. Do not be afraid. What was the fear that was crippling Israel? We're afraid to do anymore. We're afraid we're going to fail, Lord. We can't try that because we may fail. Fear of humiliation. God, I don't want to walk six times around that city because it's humiliating. So I'm going to stay back. The rest of my family can go. Or this is the big one. Lord, we're just not big enough and we're not strong enough to do this thing that you're asking us to do. Fear causes us to focus on the power of our weakness instead of the power of our God. Fear makes us focus on the power of our weakness Instead of the power of our God. The Lord led Vicki and I to be a part of starting two churches prior to being with Hamlin. Covenant Baptist, just before you get to Mount Vernon, at the front entrance to Mount Vernon, just to the right, you'll see Covenant Church sitting there. Then after that, we were there 14 years, and then we went and started the church down in Nixa. It's behind the, the go-kart tracks and the ball fields down on the way to Nixa. And I must confess to you, there were some fear, several fear moments in starting churches from scratch. One for me, I'm confessing here, and I, I'm confessing not in a positive way, would be the fear of God's provision. Why? Because you're reaching people that don't have a clue about God. They weren't trained generationally to walk in faith. There are new folks coming in and receiving Christ. They don't have any knowledge of the word. And my thought was, Lord, how are we going to provide in this ministry? 
How are we going to get through, pay these bills? These folks don't even know the beginning, what I believe is the beginning faith step of covenant after you receive the Lord Jesus into your heart. Uh, this will step on some of your toes because I believe uh, Malachi chapter 3 becomes one of the next steps of faith. But then these early churches, they don't know what that is. But here's what he says. Every time, ever since the time of your forefathers, Malachi 3, 7, you've turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. Lord, how are we to return to you? God says, will a man rob God? Well, how are we robbing you, God? He says, in your tithes and your offerings, you're not bringing them. Then he goes on to say, you're under a curse. The whole nation of you, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. See if I will not, listen, throw open the floodgates of heaven, pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops. Your work is going to be profitable. The vines of your field will not cast their fruit. He's going to protect your provision, says the Lord Almighty. Then the nations will call you blessed, for yours is a delightful land. But in the midst of that journey, I realized that maybe 20% of the church, or 25%, was giving into those churches. Honestly, money is not the thing, but the faith action is. What? So if you have 25% of the church living at a level of entry-level faith, do you understand where the church is? 25% of, of entry faith. That means 75% of the church is, is living in no faith. Where does that leave the church? Weak, running, scared, fearful, and sometimes even the preacher got dust on his hair and his, and his clothes are torn and fearful. I have to admit that I was. But I will tell you right now that after about 30 years of doing that, not one time in any of that journey that the Lord did not make provision. Not one time. Now there were times it got down to, Lord, how are we going to survive? How are we going to do this? We can't make it this week. I will be truthful to you to know that he is faithful. Always faithful. Is your faith great, little, or not? There are two big issues, and we're going to close with it. Vicki, come up. There's condemnation. Here's what you want to deal with it today. Remember what the instruction is? Stand up and deal with it. Well, I'm afraid of this, and I'm worried they might. I don't care what you're afraid of. I don't care what they might. What I'm concerned is we take the stuff that we have buried in our house and put it in your hands symbolically and bring it down here and just lay it on an altar. Just leave it. If we could make it physical, we could have stuff laying all over this place. Just come and deal with it. I'm afraid what they might think. I told you I don't really care what they think. Because that's not what matters. What matters is what he thinks. So get clean. Stand up and deal with it. What would happen if we did that today? Then the power of God and the provision of God and the protection of God started moving before us. You thought this last year was good. You thought a hundred people coming in to be a part of this church in a year's time was good. 
what if would this happen and next year we're having four services and you're reaching a thousand people? It's possible. If God says, go do it, do it. But he said, stand up and deal with it. Deal with your sin. The other one is, stand up, stop being afraid. Trust me in what I ask you to do. I just wonder what would happen. And I can't deal with you. You know what? I have to deal with me before the Lord. I have to take those issues myself before Him. Put them on an altar. Say, Lord, don't let me be like Achan. Is there something in my house? Do I have something hidden that keeps us weak? If it is, dig it up. Put it on an altar. Let's just see what God does. Would you bow your head? Would you pray this prayer? Lord, what are you speaking to me? Lord, what did you say to me? Now say this prayer. Lord, what do you want me to do about it? The enemy will be right there whispering in your ear. Oh, they'll think this. They'll, they'll judge you. They'll whatever. I've determined I don't care what people think. By the way, this folks, this group of people just trust in the Lord. And they, if they see you, they're just going to be celebrating your victory. Lord, what do you want me to do? Let's stand. Then I would just say, do what the Lord tells you to do. You do whatever you need to. If you don't know the Lord, come and let us show you how. It's, we make, you make it hard, it's not hard. You'll come and make it right. But let's turn uh, a, an army that runs into an army that is powerful, victorious. Would you come? The altars are open.